Welcome to another episode of the Woman Being Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about the foster care system and all the benefits, challenges, wins with the beautiful Chloe Lynch. So here we go. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds without expectation or judgment. We will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. Chloe, welcome. We're so excited to have you here today with us, and we're so excited to learn about this big, vast thing called the foster care system. Um, So why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Okay. Um, So my name is Chloe Lynch. I currently work for a nonprofit called Court Appointed Special Advocates. Um, We call it CASA for short. That's what it's kind of known as. Um, I, my title is a volunteer coordinator. So I, what we do is we recruit and train volunteers to work one-on-one with kids in the foster care system. So Mm -hmm. I am overseeing a group of our volunteers. I also do things like, um, We do continuing ed, that they have to stay up on different news articles and things just pertaining to the foster care system. Um, I help put on fundraisers, and I, um, yeah, I'm just kind of program support for my supervisor and the program manager. That's awesome. So, like, what drew you to this field? It's a very, it's, it's beautiful and amazing, but there's a lot of hard things probably about what you do. What, what made you decide you wanted to be involved? I don't think I actually decided. I feel like it's just kind of something that happened to me. Um, But it's also something that I I love. Um, Growing up, I lived about five minutes away from my grandma who did foster care. So for a lot of my life, I kind of saw, um, I saw that side of things. It was something something that I was very familiar with. And then um, after high school, I started nannying for a family that was doing foster care. So they had a baby that I nannied and then throughout the year, um, we would get just a, she would call me the morning of and be like, Hey, by the way, there's three more kids here. And I'd be like, Great. Um, so it's definitely something that I have been exposed to throughout my life. When I went back to finish my bachelor's degree, um, I focused on foster care for one of my, um, papers and specifically kids aging out of the foster care system. So after graduating and looking around for jobs, I knew I wanted to help people, Um, kids are really important to me and um, when I was looking for jobs it just kind of opened up and I knew that it was something that I I wanted to be a part of um, and something that I want to continue being a part of whether it's my profession or just what I choose to do with my life so yeah just kind of throughout my life things have just unfolded to this kind of being an open opportunity for me it's amazing Yeah. yeah so we hear a lot of There's a lot of narratives, I feel like, around the foster care system. You hear good things about it. You hear bad things about it. Um, So could you tell us maybe a little bit more about the complicated nature of this system and um, sort of what your your experience has been with it? Yeah, so um, the foster care system, I feel like I hear a lot from people like the foster care system is broken. We need to fix it. Um, And from my experience, it's actually not broken. It's working the way that it was made to work. Um, It was never really supposed to be a replacement for a family. It was supposed to be an emergency situation where 
um, a parent is unable to care for their child for one reason or another, we come in, we assist, we help rehabilitate, and hopefully the goal is the child goes back. And that's still the, that's like the number one most said line in mm-hmm. my field of work is reunification. We want the child to be back with their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I hear that it's a broken system, I, I'm like, uh, yes, but but no, because it, it's really, it it's not broken. It's just being used for something that it was never really intended to be used. That it's grown so much, and um, we I think we've realized that we've act, we actually need more support for kids who have been removed and for the families. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's not it's not as broken as people would think. Um, one thing that a lot of people don't realize about the foster care system is. It's not just about the kids. Um, when the kids get removed and they go to court for the first time, both of the parents get assigned attorneys. Um, the social worker is, bless their hearts because they, and not, yeah, bless their hearts because they they are there for the family. They're there trying to get mom the help that she needs, dad the help that she needs, all of the kids the case. They're, they're really trying to round up what's going on and... Um, find resources for all of them. So when a child gets detained, it's not just about them, but that is the one goal because we want to protect the child. We don't want the child to be harmed. Um, So that's kind of where my role comes in um, and my organization is um, we we also don't want any child to get lost. So we, we highly value the work that the social worker is doing and trying to create services for the whole family but for us we don't want the child's voice to get lost in what's going on um so we it was started by a judge I believe in Oregon or Washington um and he was like we need people to be a voice for these children so he was the one that actually created um CASA and it just kind of blew up and became this national program so we come in and we say we're here for the child we're here to advocate for them we write reports to the judge um kind of giving just what's going on with the kid and we even have a section in the report that says like this is what they say um the, the kid could want to go back to be with mom and that's what we say they could say I want to take horseback riding lessons and that's what we say like we um we sit down with them before we write the report and we say I mean to the best that we can sometimes if they're younger they obviously don't um talk so but it's it's a really important piece of it because it helps them not feel lost. It, mm-hmm. it, we we really are just there for the child. So it's really interesting to see how it it works. There's there's a lot of heartbreaking things like um, and a lot of a lot of things that you're just like, oh, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Like mm-hmm. foster care is not how a child's supposed to grow up, and it's a very traumatic experience. Um, but being in the courtroom and seeing the work that the attorneys do and the um, social workers do, they're doing the best that they can with the resources that they have available to them. When you are looking for kind of families then, for healthy and safe homes to place these kids in, what kind of criteria are you looking at? Like, are you looking for the nuclear husband and wife married home? Or like, how does that process work? The social workers are the ones that are looking at families and criteria of where they're placing children who gets to be a foster parent. Um, so my role as a CASA or, and the CASA program is not 
that's not what we do. But what we do is we come in and we say, is this home good? Is this a good home? We're looking at mom and dad who are trying to get back into the swing of things and we're looking, do they have what they need? Is, are, um, are they going to be able to care for this child? What we look for, it's called the minimum level of sufficient care, uh, minimum sufficient care. Um, and it's basically, we're not looking for perfect. We're not looking for abundant. We're looking, can you provide on the basic level for this child? Um, because again, our goal is always reunification if it can be, if that's the Mm -hmm. safe option for the child. When I started my job, it was really easy to be like, how could these parents do this? Like, how could these parents get their children taken away from them? And sitting in the courtroom every time I see the parents and I'm like, oh, you're, you're human. Like you, (laughs) you're a human being, you make mistakes, you, um, you don't get it right all of the time. And, um, you love your kids. When we go in as a CASA, we're looking at kind of the same things. Is this a clean house? Is it, is there a roof over their head? Are there like, is there food in the pantry? Are they being emotionally taken care of? Um, Because I think we're starting to realize that that's a huge part of resiliency is the emotional health. Like, yes, they could have food and they could have a roof, but if they don't have emotional stability, it's really hard for them to come back. I mean, as the the advocates who meet with these children, um, that's got to be so valuable to them to have someone who's constant in their life, Mm -hmm. you know, like somebody who they can rely on in all of this confusion and and feeling like they don't have anyone to rely on. Yeah. And that's what CASA, when we recruit volunteers, we ask for a big chunk of your time. We ask that you commit to being with the child until their case is closed, which that depends. Again, some of them go years and years. Some of them are done in six months. Um, it really depends on the age of the child, the situation that they're coming from. Um, but yeah, some kids, by the time that they leave the foster care system, have had seven different foster families, six different social workers, um, therapists, teachers. But sometimes it's overwhelming to have all of these people. Um, so the CASA comes in, and that's your person. That's we, we really value people who want to stick around and be there because you never know what's going to happen. Like social workers change so quickly that um, there's a story that I hear over and over again about a little boy who had, I think he broke his leg and went to the doctor, got it all fixed up. Well, the doctor said that he needed to come back for an x-ray the next year to make sure everything was healing okay. Well, by the time that year came around, foster parents had changed, social worker had changed twice, there was a big stack of paperwork, um, and nobody knew that he needed that x-ray anymore. And the, the CASA was the only one who knew. So when it came time for the the court hearing for the child, the CASA told the judge he needs that x-ray like that. was mm. The doctor said he needed it, and the mm. judge ordered that that was done so then the social worker had to go make sure that that appointment was made and the x-ray was taken so it's yeah the causes are really an important part of the kids um the kids life stability Mm well-being yeah that's huge and casas are the only people our program is completely volunteer based so casas are the only people who are not paid to be in their life Mm -hmm. um which is also huge for them because Mm -hmm. 
the social workers paid to be there, the doctors paid to be there, the attorneys paid to be there. So to have somebody who says, no, I'm choosing to do this for you, um, it's really powerful. It's Mm -hmm. a really important thing to them to say, oh, like, you don't have to do this, but Mm -hmm. you are. Um, and some kids don't understand, they, they don't, they don't understand that, but some kids do. So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing about the advocates and their role and, um, just some of how the foster care system works. Cause I know I honestly, like, I have not known very much about the foster care system until very recently. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of been a mystery to me, mm-hmm. um, not really understanding what it is. So, um, I want to hear a little bit about the the male and female dynamics within the foster care system. Um, like, is there is there a difference in how uh, mothers and fathers get treated, or um, male versus female children that are in the system? Uh, what what does that dynamic look like, and how does that play into uh, this whole process of foster care? I think it's as complex as it can get (laughs) Um, that's that's not an not a surprise yeah I mean everything about this system is convoluted and complex and there's moving parts and there's different you're dealing with different people and then so yeah there's definitely I would say just in most social service fields um you predominantly see women I don't know if it's because we were raised in this idea of women are the caring nurturing people that that's what you do so we're more driven to that I don't know if it's part of our nature as women um to feel more nurturing and caring towards things like this um but I would say we definitely we definitely see more women um working in this field than men not that there isn't there's there's quite a few men and we value them a lot um as I mean, I can speak to like CASA numbers and yeah, I, we have a lot more women, whether that's because um, they have more time because they're not primary um, income drivers in their family. Um, I don't know what if it's because they really care and they're very passionate and they that this is how they can be involved. Um, it, it could be our nature it could just be the way we were raised um it could be life circumstances and just the idea that men provide income and women stay home with the kids so they have more time i mean there's so many different factors that could contribute to that um but i don't i i really don't think it's that women care more i think it's just a lot of these different things playing into why you see that um, in the foster care system. As far as parents go, I don't want to be harsh, but a lot of the times you just see the mom. Um, Mom has the child, and it's very hard to deny that that's your child when you had it. Mm -hmm. So um, when you you see it, mom, mom is nine out of ten times always the one there. We do get dads, and we get good dads, and we get not so good dads. Um, sometimes we don't know who the dad is. Um, so there's definitely a lot of a lot of unbalance there because choices are made, and sometimes you don't know. Or um, there there is a part where the judge has to ask, like, and this is always shocking to me because I'm like, we only do this to the mom, but the judge sits the mom down and asks, "Who's the 
child's father. Could it be this person? Could it be this person? And asks her a whole list of details about that, um, which is always, like, at first it was kind of shocking to me because I was like, oh, like, why aren't we asking the dad these questions? But really, you you can't deny when it's your child if the child was inside of you. So, um, yeah, parents, moms typically get more services because they're just there more. Um, Sometimes dads don't even know. Sometimes they'll do that they do very extensive research into family when the child is detained so um sometimes the dad will find out because the child was removed and then step up to the plate uh, or not it just depends so yeah um as far as the kids go I was thinking about it this morning and I was like I feel like we there is a difference between how boys and girls are treated in the foster care system, Um, especially when you get into the teenage years, because there's a lot of stereotypes about the behaviors that you're going to get from teenage boys and teenage girls. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you're working in a field like this, when you're working with children, you have to be hypervigilant about preventing behaviors and preventing harm. Um, When they're a teenager, they can run away and they can make their own choices and I mean we once they run away like you you have to call the police and like let them know and call the social worker like there's lots of like protection around them when they do that but they they know how to and they have friends and they have cell phones so um yeah it's I I I sometimes wonder if maybe we didn't let kind of the stereotypical idea of what a foster child is get in the way of who they are Mm -hmm. um if if the behaviors would be differently, would be mm. different because, yeah, I we I recently was talking to a newer advocate and she was just like, this is not what I was expecting it to be. Like, this child is happy-go-lucky, um, really happy, doesn't even seem to be affected. And I was like, good, we're going to keep her that way. Mm-hmm. Like, that's <laughs> what we're going to do. Um, and I just, it's, when you work in it so much, you, you kind of forget that those little innuendos and those little, like, um, things that you often perceive about the children are there, but then you get reminded that, like, oh, there's people that assume certain things about girls in the foster care system because they're a girl and mm-hmm. the different kinds of things that they can make choices about and get into. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would definitely say there there's this tricky balance of how do you protect them the best that they can be protected based off of what you know about them and also not letting what you know about them on the surface keep you from helping them in the best way possible. Yeah. So what are some of those assumptions that people have? They can be really harsh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's that teenage girls get pregnant. Um, Uh It's that teenage boys are violent. It just like things like that, just those very like, and that's, it's true, like teenage boys can't get pregnant. So there's this, and I think that's the same with the parents is there's this kind of responsibility that falls on the girl because it's her body that's being affected by it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, just a lot of these, like you're protective of the girls in a totally different way because of what their bodies do and how they, they were just built you know Mm. um so and teenage boys it's really really hard to get 
advocates for the teenage boys because we have predominantly female advocates and a lot of the times they don't feel safe because um because the teenage boys are bigger (laughs) they can be they're known to be more violent but not that the girls can't be violent and not that the boys can't harm their body or get into trouble that way either like the street goes both ways it's just so different that Mm -hmm. I think I mean this is going into a whole different rabbit hole but I think sometimes we assume that most of the girls are the ones being sexually abused when I think that there's probably a really good proportion of the boys that experience that as well it's just not talked about Mm -hmm. um is that within their foster homes or in their um birth homes I would say both I mean Mm -hmm. you never want a child to be um harmed in a foster home because you remove them from a traumatic experience so to put them into another one is like you don't want that to happen like Mm -hmm. that's that's how we get kids who don't trust the foster care system but Mm -hmm. again going back to what I said earlier about you're looking at this family that says they want to take care of kids and you're desperate for people because you have too many kids and not enough people ready to take care of them Mm -hmm. so sometimes you're like this is a slight red flag but we're gonna we're gonna hope that it doesn't turn out to be anything um Mm -hmm. And you go with it, and sometimes it's not good. And yeah. that's the hard. And that's, again, social workers, they carry that on their backs. Yeah. They are making the decisions. I mean, the judge is the one who ultimately makes the decision about the child going home or not, but the social worker is the one on the ground with their eyes in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. But, yeah, yeah I would say... Uh, when it comes to sexual abuse, I think it's probably happening more to the boys than we realize. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just not talked about. Yeah. Yeah. That's so... I feel like if you're putting the expectation on these kids to be bad, like, they're going to fall into that. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you're, it's setting them up for, for failure rather than success. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. If, those, if you bring all of those expectations into working with the foster care system and everything. Yeah. Um, Cause that just perpetuates it. Yeah. yeah and there's mm-hmm. like a, a pattern of distrust that we're seeing too sort mm-hmm. of grows. First of all, there's a tra- traumatic experience at home. You're pulled from your home mm-hmm. and pu- put into another one. And then you which have is to, more trauma, which <laughs> yeah, which is, it's just traumatic in and of itself, whether yeah. or not the, the parents are loving or not. Mm-hmm. And then, so these foster parents, then there's potential for, a greater distrust mm-hmm. and, and loss of trust in the social worker for putting them there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And then so the next time we come around, maybe they do land in a good family and how are they supposed to believe right. that it's going to be a safe space mm-hmm. for them? So they're going to act out and they're yeah. going right. um, to yeah. not walk in, you know, just believing that everything's going to work out, which mm-hmm. can make it difficult. Yeah. Right. So Absolutely. it feels like just sort and of these... spirals. Yeah. And these kids might not necessarily have the coping skills that mm-hmm. other kids well, do. I mean, and so, who did? you know, yeah. right. You know? Like oh, I was, yeah. You got a little bit going on. Um, and yeah. it's just kind of, it's all around like impossible situations, doing the best you can with what you have and hoping for the best outcome. Right. But I think what's important to remember is like everyone's genuinely trying to do their best. Mm -hmm. And you touched on that. Like originally when you came in, you were like, how can these parents like, but then it's like, oh, they're just human. Like we're all human trying to fix a mess together and just praying it all works out, which is, I would imagine takes a, very heavy emotional and mental toll yeah so I would really love to know like how do you take care of yourself 
as a person in a field that is very challenging while you're trying to help other people. Because I'd imagine if you're not at your best, you're not going to be able to fully serve what you need to. Yeah. Um, sometimes I don't take care of myself well. <laughs> um, sometimes it's it's really hard, especially when you're working with kids because you want to give them everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you want to give them all of you. Um, but I think for me... One, it's, I have to remind myself that it's my job and I have to do my very best while I'm on the clock and being, being there, being present. And then when I close my computer for the day, when I leave work, that's when I, I have to remind myself if I'm going to show up tomorrow and I'm going to be the best that I can be tomorrow when I'm expected to be there, it's time for me to like do what I need to do to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I mean, self-care looks different for everybody. Everybody gets um, rejuvenated by different things. But I think the biggest thing is reminding myself that, like, that if I'm not doing good, I'm I'm not going to be at my best for these kids and for the advocates because there's this this kind of tiered thing where I oversee advocates and then they go see their kids. So if I'm not in a place when an advocate calls me with an emergency and they're saying this thing, so if I'm not in a good place and they're calling me, I'm, I'm not ready to help them navigate mm-hmm. that. Um, so I'm, I'm not perfect at it. I'm not great. But um, reading books that I enjoy, like mm-hmm. finding that book that I kind of always love to read, so that thing that removes me from the real world for a second yeah. and I get to imagine a totally different thing and also I would say learning is a really good form of self-care because when you are learning about trauma um you learn how to how to navigate it Mm -hmm. if you don't know anything about trauma then you you can't possibly get better or be your best self because happens to you right Mm -hmm. right and you can't help other people if you don't know so um that's kind of something that you have to you have to do in small bites, but um, for me, that's so helpful to learn about how do how do I deal with trauma? Because once I understand it for myself, um, I can help other people. There's been a lot of research. I mean, I think it's just been mental health and trauma and things have really been growing over the last few years. Um, and Nadine Burke Harris has done a lot of um, research into. Um, adverse childhood experiences and how trauma affects the brain there's a book called um the body keeps the score that talks about so good the kind of interwoven way and i think sometimes we totally separate our mind from our bodies yeah we don't realize that what we do to our body affects our mind and what we're doing with our mind is affecting our body yeah so reading that book totally changed my perspective on mm-hmm. oh like i have to take care of my mind because it's actually going to hurt my body and there's Mm -hmm. such that balance of going of being healthy mentally and physically so I think it it just depends for every person but yeah find those things that make you happy and Mm -hmm. admit that they make you happy Mm -hmm. and pursue them because and I think that that's just I think about people in my life that I see pursuing things that they love and it it motivates me to do the best that I can in the things that I love so Yeah, taking care of yourself is is honestly probably one of the best kind of reflections you can 
give. Absolutely. I wondered, you have sort of this very intense emotional workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, I was on the missions field for two years, and I saw this in where I was in my own self. I got very burnt out, and I see it in a lot of people who kind of pursue these sort of work environments. And I wondered, is that... Is burnout like a common thing? So, because there's, there's an aspect of taking care of yourself at home mm-hmm. and like your your emotional and physical well being, but then there's also this other side of like professional boundaries in the workplace. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that? Ooh, that's that's a that's a great question um, because there is that fine line of what I do is mostly confidential. So I can't talk about my cases with anybody that I don't work with. Um, so there's that fine line of, I need my coworkers and my supervisors because they are my emotional, when I just need to get it out, they're my people. Um, but also they're my coworkers. And I, I mean, anybody who's worked in a professional setting knows that there, there's good boundaries. Like you can be friends with coworkers, but there's, there's boundaries that you have to have. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I would say burnout, um, especially in this field, uh, compassion fatigue is huge, which is just kind of that, like, I'm so tired. <laughs> like I just Aww. am so tired and I was reading about it and I was reading that it's actually compassion fatigue is a symptom of secondary post-traumatic stress. Wow. Um, so when you're reading case files about children who are being abused, when you're reading um, texts from your advo- my, my advocates talking about the situations that they're dealing with, when I'm reading, I like I said, I do the continuing education, so I'm always watching videos and reading books about foster care. Um, it comes to this point where I'm like, I am tired. Um, so it, they're just, you, you have to know yourself mm-hmm. and you have to know your limits. Um, Boundaries is a great book if you don't know. Oh, Henry Cloud? Uh, yes, yeah. yes. But knowing what gets to come, these are, these are my boundaries, what gets to come in, what has to stay out, um, what things are kind of, that, that boundary can move depending on where I'm at. If I'm in a good place, I can totally take on more things. If I'm not in a good place, that boundary stays up and mm-hmm. nothing comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's having having that relationship with your coworkers where you can where you can go into their office and cry because you've had a really bad day and you read this really hard thing. Um, But also having those people outside of work who know your heart and know the way you function and getting to to release on them too. So I want to kind of backtrack a little bit um, into something that you were talking about just now, which is um, this this idea that that women are are more nurturing um, to to work within the foster care system. And um, this I think that this idea of women being in in nurturing roles is something that has been very present throughout the history of women working. Um, I mean, when I think about uh, reading about when women first started to be able to sort of leave the home, they were relegated to jobs like teaching or child care. Mm-hmm. And those are those are great jobs and really important jobs, but it was like, oh, this is what the women do, and this is also not worth being paid as much as what the men do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of wonder... Well, even in the church, too. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, here's a leadership position. Go do the nursery. Go teach, right. teach children's mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Do the and kids' choir. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I wonder... If that's why we we see now social workers and nonprofits are being paid less, 
even men within those positions are being paid less because this has been seen as as a woman's role, mm. you know? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that it's kind of, and it goes kind of back to what I was saying about this idea that I think we've had for a really long time of men bring in the income for the family. Moms mm-hmm. stay, women stay home, they take care of the kids, they clean the house. And um, I mean, if you choose to do that, that's your choice, but... Um, we're, we're, we have transitioned into this society where single-income families just don't really work anymore. It's very hard to mm-hmm. live a comfortable middle-class life off of a single income. Mm-hmm. So now women are having to go get jobs, but they're still kind of in that. You can have a job, but you can be a teacher. Teachers don't get paid great. Mm-hmm. You can be a social worker. You can do the kind of things that we've, we've been told our whole lives that we're supposed to do, which is this nurturing, caring, which I don't think that it's nurturing and caring is regulated just to women men can be just as nurturing and caring um women can be not (laughs) women can be fiery and spicy and honestly in my field fiery and spicy is good like you don't Mm -hmm. just have to be this soft loving stay-at-home mom to be a social worker be i mean obviously if you're a social worker it's your job but to be an advocate to be in this field like you have to have some fire in you you're Mm -hmm. talking about you're you're sitting in a room and you're facing really prestigious attorneys and a judge Mm -hmm. and their parents and you have to be ready to say no like this child needs this even if it goes against what the parents want sometimes you have to go against what the child wants sometimes bobby wants to go back with mom and he says i want to be back with mom and everything you see says that is not a good idea. So you have to be ready to say, this child is important to me and I'm going against everything that he wants and everything that his mom wants to say that that can't happen. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, I think it, it, it's kind of this, this vortex that we get into of women are in this job because it's, it's what the nurturing gentlewoman yeah. would do. Well, and sometimes I feel like the word nurturing it feels like it's meant to be a compliment in that, like, oh, you have this beautiful quality about mm-hmm. you. But I often feel like it's very patronizing in the idea that, <laughs> okay, you're nurturing. So go do that nurturing thing that you do over there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. just go sit in your corner. Yeah, go sit in your right. corner. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate, like, the nurturing aspects of women. But like you said men can be nurturing and need to be nurturing mm-hmm. please god men <laughs> yes. you are nurturing beings and you yes. have a responsibility to be nurturing just yeah. like we do yes. especially in parenting mm-hmm. and we need more men to step up into those roles yeah. yeah and the pay should reflect the quality of the work the education that goes into it and all of the things that a social worker has to prepare for and yeah an attorney is like it's yeah. not an easy field to get into yeah mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. as a social worker too you're going into houses that are not great you're you're being exposed like I, I was talking about that that secondary post-traumatic stress you're being exposed to that but you're not getting paid enough to go get a good counselor yeah. <laughs> like you're not getting paid enough to take care of the I mean if you're if you read the body keeps the score it talks about the ways that the stress actually affects your body so mm-hmm. you may potentially have more medical needs and I mean you're working for the county most often so you're getting medical care but you still there's still a lot of money that you have to put into maintaining your well-being um and not to mention like 
if, I mean, God forbid, it's a dangerous situation, Mm -hmm. but you could potentially even be putting yourself at risk for the child. A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, and our advocates, we say, like, if you're in danger, leave. Like, that's, that's, we want to protect you at all costs, because that's Mm -hmm. my job is to protect my advocates. But the social workers, their job is to be in those situations. And more often than not, they're not these super dangerous situations, but parents when it comes to their kids they get protective they get defensive yeah yeah yeah. and I think that's one of the things that gives me hope for some of these parents is I'm like you're angry right now and you should be Mm -hmm. like this is good Mm -hmm. um I I think that we we (laughs) sometimes care about things in society more than we care about the kids that are going to be growing into these things Mm -hmm. and if we would just recognize the value of preventing trauma in these children and dealing with the trauma that they have it would change the world yeah I mean how many I I don't personally know the statistics off the top of my head of how many kids are in the foster care system but in Shasta County I think we have between five and six hundred kids so Think about if you're taking care of every one of those kids and they grow up in this community. I mean, community development is like a huge piece of what I love. And we're looking at these kids who are going to live here, are going to get jobs here. We want them to do the best that they can, like for themselves, for our community, for their children. So. Because we're building, we're building the future members of society. Yeah, and, exactly. And the trauma that they go through and the pain that they have to experience, that's going to come with them into adulthood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's going to affect us and them, like their future generations yeah. and how they grow up. Yeah. yeah. And the statistics, if you've been in the foster care system, the chances of your children going into foster care skyrocket. It's, mm-hmm. it's, if, it's heartbreaking because yeah. when, and a lot of these parents who have been in the foster care system that is the last thing that they want but because they've already experienced it that's it just it happens because they haven't been given what they need yeah and we're doing the best that we can I mean bills have been passed in 2012 a bill was passed that actually extended foster care benefits for kids so they can choose to stay in foster care from 18 to 22 um and and it's not normal foster care. It's called independent living. So they get put into a mentor house or an apartment. They learn to pay bills. Um, it's kind of this, okay, we're, we're going to help you transition into adulthood. That's awesome. Um, but, yeah, it's not, it's not the same. It's not easy. I mean, anybody transitioning into adulthood can say it's really hard. Yeah. So imagine it's doing that when, by yourself. When you're just a regular, yeah. regular kid, right. you yeah. know. Right. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah, I think that definitely we've seen the foster care system. And I feel like it's important to note that we've seen women shape social services in the foster care system. What it is today is what it is because of the heavy influences that women have had on it. And I think that's amazing. But also we going back to those biases, we're like, oh, women don't need the income Mm. because they're going to have a husband and mm-hmm. as a single person working in the social service field I'm supporting myself mm-hmm. so it's like and I know a lot of other people are, that are too and actually that's not fair to assume that just because you're a social worker doesn't mean you don't need the income because it's yeah. your ministry or totally. it's your it's your calling so you you shouldn't you should sacrifice that paycheck yeah, um, yeah. and yeah. I do I I would 
much rather be in a situation where I'm not getting paid as much and actually feeling like I'm doing something and making a difference. But you shouldn't have to choose between those things. Right. Yep. This work should be recognized as right. important enough to be paid. Well, mm-hmm. it seems that the the way of thinking should not be here's an important wonderful thing that you get to do, but you'll have to sacrifice the pay. It should be here's an important wonderful thing that we have, and we're gonna pay you to back up like Mm -hmm. the need and I feel the same with teachers and and other major care workers in our society is like we're kind of like okay we're gonna both have you sacrifice yourself in this job for other people and then you're also gonna have to sacrifice the paycheck yeah yeah Yeah. and usually these fields are female dominated yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so you can't deny that there's probably a correlation there and yeah I think it's it's important to recognize that but I do have to say these women have, and and I don't want to, there's a lot of men who have done a lot of great things too, but women have dominated this field for so long and done it so well mm. with, under the circumstances of the reality that when you work in social services or yeah. you're a teacher or anything else, you're not, you're not getting paid great and they've done a great job. And yeah. I think that's worth recognition of mm-hmm. a thank you for everything that you've done mm-hmm. and sacrificed. Thank you, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> for real. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I think here's the thing is if this was a high paying job, then I am almost sure you would see more men in it. Definitely. Yeah. And you would see this diversification, which is probably needed because because it's so valuable to have both men and women in these positions yes. yeah. to care for different kids that yeah. have different needs. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, children with trauma and need to see good, strong, manly figures just as much as they need to see good, strong female figures. Mm-hmm. Male, like a, a boy or a girl, seeing a good, strong male figure is so important. Um, so, yeah, there, there's work to be done. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect system, yeah. but... being in it every day I'm like wow I'm amazed by the work that's being done under the circumstances that you have to do them it's really hard to like look in and see all the pain and like we've sort of alluded to there there is a lot of pain like Mm -hmm. people come through the foster system foster care system very traumatized but what for like what for you keeps you in the job what are the beautiful things about the job that make it worth your while oh goodness um I mean knowing that I go to work every day and I am giving a mom and a dad and a child an opportunity to be a family I think we all long for that loving acceptance we all long to belong somewhere Mm -hmm. and knowing that when I wake up and I start my day I'm I'm playing a very small part of that and I think when it comes to foster care there's so many different pieces that have to fall into place for children to go home or to be in a position that is going to benefit them and to know that I can I can be one of those pieces is really important um I also I my job is overseeing volunteers but I in my own time also volunteer with um, two sisters that are in the foster care system. And even that, I mean, is has been life-changing to me to see their resilience and their, um, their life and their trust and um, 
just getting to know them, like they're my little buddy, <laughs> like they're my mm-hmm. friends. Um, and knowing that maybe we won't always be in contact, but one day they're going to look back on this time and they're going to remember that person that showed up every week mm-hmm. and that person that brought them their favorite Dutch. And, yeah. um, and even if they never know what was in the court reports, they're going to know that I was there for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is why I love CASA so much is we provide people who care so deeply and who are so consistent to these kids. And mm-hmm. sometimes they don't want it. Sometimes the kids are so broken. I mean, they're not broken. I hate saying that because they're, they're perfect. But <laughs> sometimes they're so hurt from the system and from their own trauma that they see another person and they say, we don't, we don't want this. And sometimes that person's like, well, I'm going to keep showing up. So, <laughs> and sometimes we don't, we, we like to respect what they, what they want. Sometimes we don't do that, but, um, sometimes it's a test. Sometimes it's something, are you really here to stick around? So knowing that I get to be a part of that, it's what, it's what gives me life and it's what gets me through the the fatigue and the sadness and it's what makes caring I was talking to my boss the other day and she was like I feel like I have a backpack on and every time I read one of these court reports someone puts a little rock in the backpack and first it doesn't seem like a very big deal but after you've worked in this field for so many years you now have a backpack that weighs hundreds of pounds on your back and I think that it's worth it for these kids to fight for them it makes it worth it yeah yeah you know (laughs) that's jesus yeah like you guys are are showing them god (laughs) and casa is not a religious affiliate like it's not religious at all but as a christ follower i think that's another big part of it is i want to i want to be like jesus Mm -hmm. because that's part of who I am. I'm deeply loved by Jesus, and that has changed my life. So knowing that I'm so deeply loved, I want these kids to know that they're just as deeply loved, and that's showing up in the way that I show up. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be a religious affiliation. You don't, you don't even have to be a Christian to show up and do this, but I love enabling people to to love people as deeply as I know Jesus loves them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it actually reminds me. I um, was spending time with the Lord once, and um, he was wearing a huge backpack, <laughs> like a like a camping backpack that was piled with stuff, and it was huge. And I was like, "Why are you wearing that? Like, what? Where are you going? What are you doing?" And he was like. Like, these are all the things that you can put on to me. And to me, this look this looks heavy and this looks bit big, but actually it's light. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, you guys working in this system, you don't have necessarily the privilege of it being light. <laughs> um, but, like, you you are being a reflection of, of, of a savior. And um, for those kids who are so hurt and who have been so traumatized and who have gone through more than a lot of adults have gone through Mm. for them to get to have someone who's doing that for them is just invaluable you know yeah it it is I think about one of my little girls and when I ask her who do you want to see who do you love and she always says my mom 
like I want to see my mom mm-hmm. and it breaks my heart that that she doesn't get to do that and and her experience of love is not what it should be so getting to show up and say you are deeply loved and I'm I'm we're, we're here for it we're fighting for it it's it's amazing and it's a privilege to for me it's a privilege to carry those rocks for them mm. it it is it, it's hard and mm-hmm. it makes me tired and sometimes I cry about it <laughs> but it is a privilege because mm-hmm. it's what I was made to do yeah so yeah. and criticisms about the foster care system aside there are people who are actively caring mm-hmm. for for kids who have been abused and um, put in very dangerous situations and have been neglected and unseen. It it matters that as a society we stand up and we say no. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you deserve better. Yeah. And and we're gonna provide that no matter how painful it is. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of the hard thing to grasp is that sometimes it's hard to receive that help. Yeah. But we're gonna do it anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. Um, so after all this beautiful, amazing stuff, I would love to know from you, Chloe, what does woman being mean to you? It's different for everyone. Everyone has their own interpretation, but I mean, with you doing such radically brave, amazing work, I would love to hear what your interpretation of that is. I think being a woman being is knowing what you're worth it's knowing that you're capable of being strong and tender it's knowing that you're capable of sitting down with somebody and letting them cry and then getting up and fighting for them it's knowing it's knowing that you're deeply loved it's knowing who you are um i think sometimes being a woman you face a lot of, we're, we're in a time of a lot of different opinions and women changing the world and changing the way women are perceived. And sometimes it's like, what, what am I? And I think you, like, you're you, like it, you get to know who you are aside from anything else that may have been put on you. You get to make those choices and you're capable of making those choices for yourself Mm -hmm. it's strong it's capable it's she's she's all of the things that we've talked about today she's loving loving (laughs) she's she's loving she's nurturing she's fierce she's fire she doesn't have to choose between Mm -hmm. those things she Mm -hmm. can be whatever she wants to be so good that was fire right there (laughs) drop some knowledge man so uh, resources then, for people who are interested in learning more, digging deeper, what would you recommend? Um, I think that there's a lot of things I would recommend, but <laughs> um, I, I mentioned the body keeps the score. It's not specifically towards um, foster care, but I think it, it touches on if you kind of want to understand a little bit about trauma and how that affects these kids that's a great resource um there's lots of documentaries there's a documentary called the trials of gabriel fernandez on netflix 
and it's a really hard watch, but it it's really eye-opening to the system. Um, there's a documentary called Foster that follows a couple of kids through the foster care system, um, reading up on adverse childhood experiences um, and Nate, the work that Nadine Burkharis is doing. Um, she, that's really to all children, but um, definitely touches on some of the things that these kids have experienced. And um, I think just being being well-rounded like those things will give you a well-rounded experience of what's the foster care system like and how do I respond mm-hmm. so. it's amazing yeah. um so I would love to know Chloe as we're closing what is the one thing you would want the world to know about the foster care system and then um where can people get involved and stay connected um I mean really just plug plug away whatever you <laughs> Whatever your heart desires. I love plugs. I think that it's important to remember that there is no wrong time, wrong way to get involved. You can be a foster parent. You can be a respite um, parent who is somebody who takes the kids on the weekends when the foster parent needs to go out of town. Um, I'm going to plug CASA. You can be an advocate, which is a couple hours a week. Um, Getting involved, it doesn't have to be um, this big daunting, I have to take this child into my home in order for that to help. Get involved with um, after-school programs that help kids with homework. Just get involved. Get your hands in. Just do something um, because those things change lives. Mm. Um, And yeah, if you want to get involved, I mean, CASA is a nationwide program, so you can literally Google CASA and the county that you're in and um, reach out to them. If you're in Shasta County, um, you would be in contact with me. Um, it's You would go to nvcss.org forward slash CASA, and then you would inquire there, and we would reach out and give you more information. And I love talking about it. It's something that I, I could talk about all day, so... Just give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> we can tell you really care deeply. It's yeah. it's really amazing. Yeah, thank you. Very I do. inspiring. And where can people find you? Oh, <laughs> I'm on Instagram. Uh, Chloe, Instagram. Instagram. Uh, <laughs> Chloe May Lynch. Uh, on Instagram. Well, thank you so much, Chloe, for your time today. We really appreciate, one, hearing your heart and just all the insights you provided. Um, I hope... Um, the audience feels as inspired as I know we three do. Um, so yeah, with, with all that, we're going to wrap up today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for joining us and being with us. Um, you can always follow us on Instagram, woman being podcast, and our website is womanbeingcommunity.com. All right. See you later. Like, subscribe, share. Do it. <laughs> Tell your <laughs> friends. Tell your friends. Tell your grandma. Tell your mom. Tell your yeah. dog. Tell your mom, your sister, and your brother. Call your dad. And your dad. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.